welcome back to another episode of Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined for another episode by Brian Kaufman. Brian is back in the USA, ready to talk some football. Today, we're diving into week eight of the college football season and all the aftermath. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. And if you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. You can also find me on Twitter at Gorgon Sports. That's where I give out all my picks each week. I had a really nice week in week eight, four and three against the spread. And I hit my money line parlay just under 11 to one. So a real nice payday there on the season 42 and 35. And I've hit two of my money line parlays. So if you're playing those money line parlays at one unit every week, you'd be up just under 15 units on the money line parlays alone. Always giving out the big odds. You just got to hit a few of them. That's why I love to play them. So I'm feeling great this weekend, Brian. How are you? I'm great. It was awesome to be back, get another full slate in. You know, I only missed like the best weekend of college football ever. So was pretty sad about that. Had a wonderful trip uh, and and I'm excited to get back and get talking about about some college football. I mean, you win some, you lose some. I'm sure you had a great trip, but <laughs> yeah, was wonderful. you made up for it all, the football that you missed, by being back yesterday and going to a real live college football game. We're at the Terps game together. Yeah, it was awesome. It was so cool to go to homecoming, have a full tailgate, phenomenal weather, eked out a win, I think it's safe to say, but you got to do what you got to do, and we'll we'll get to that in the Maryland Minute, but man, it was fun to be back together, be back in person, and there's nothing like, like a college football Saturday on campus. It was awesome. No doubt about it, and another place in this country that had a fantastic game day was the spot where college game day was. And that's Eugene, Oregon for Oregon-UCLA, a top 10 matchup. And in my opinion, really the most impactful game of the day. Oregon beats UCLA 45-30. to They move to 7-1. and They drop UCLA from the ranks of the unbeaten. And this was a game that featured just a single punt. So for my money, this was not only the most impactful game of the day, but probably one of the most enjoyable games of the day and I want to take a second just to enjoy talk about how enjoyable that game was how fun that game was how fun the Pac-12 as a whole is this year because Brian the Pac-12 right now is really what the Big 12 was maybe I don't know 10 years ago eight years ago where it's as a lot of coaches like to say, all gas, no breaks. It's go, 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 go on offense. Not a lot of defense, but that can be pretty damn fun. And we're seeing it right now with Oregon putting up 45 every week. How are you feeling about this Ducks team? How are you feeling about the Pac-12? Yeah, man, Oregon, they look good. They they pushed UCLA around. They were dominant. I think Jeff Schwartz posted a two-minute video on Twitter just of their offensive line dominating, opening up running holes. They got it going seemingly with ease. Uh, obviously, the last unbeaten team in Pac-12 play now. Um, Bo Nix, man, uh, five touchdowns. He looked really, really comfortable, said as much after the game that, that he was feeling super comfortable back there. And so... I, I like the I like the comparison to like the the mid 2010s Big 12, um, you know, around the time that 
I was down there in Waco covering the league. It, it was it was fast. It was fun. And like you said, not a ton of defense. But there's, you know, the, a bunch of teams, those top four teams, all of them still have as good a chance of any of the other ones. So I, I think we're in for a really, really fascinating down the stretch of the season Pac-12 race. And you're right, Brian. Those four teams are all good teams, and it's Oregon, Utah, UCLA, and USC. And if you like the advanced stats like I do, those are four teams that are all in the top 20 of Bill Connolly's SP+. These are good teams. Oregon, Utah, UCLA are all in the top 11 at 8, 10, and 11. And I think that USC is a little lower still just because there might still be a bit of a preseason stuff baked in there. They started really low and that was something that uh, Bill had acknowledged when, you know, he was writing about it early in the season. So I, I would, I do kind of wonder if, if when that preseason stuff is completely out, if it's not out already, if they shoot up a little bit, but the bottom line is those four teams, I, I think I would put them head to head with any other top four in any other league outside of the SEC. I think the SEC is pretty clearly the best there just because Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama are probably three of the top six teams in the country. I don't think you're going to you're gonna beat that. Yes, the Big Ten, I, I would say Ohio State and Michigan are probably better than who, whichever two you want to put at the top of the Pac-12. But, I mean, I don't think Penn State's better than any of those teams. And then as far as number four in the Big Ten, call it Illinois, call it Maryland, call it Purdue. I don't think they're anywhere near those teams. Do you? No, no, I think you're right. I I, I think you're on it. I, I think it'd be interesting, though, like of these teams, you're right. They're all there. It's going to be an interesting race down the stretch of the season. But do you feel confident with a Pac-12 team potentially being a college football playoff contender? I mean, I know it will sort of take one of them pulling away a bit, if you will, but it's feasible, right? So when you say, do I feel confident, are you asking me whether I think a Pac-12 team is going to make it, whether I think they could win a game, or whether I think they should make it? Because I think uh, they're all maybe different answers. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think I was thinking about the first one. I think, like, what – I guess it's sort of a more what is the path to one getting in and, like, is it feasible to happen? Because I, I feel like in this league for years it's like there is a team that's supposed to do it and they sort of stub their toe. And then this year it's more like, oh, there's actually a few highly competitive teams that you could talk yourself into being able to do that. So is it less going to be, like, some – one of the teams truly dropping the ball and more just like the league sort of cannibalizes itself to an extent. Yeah. So I think you got no matter what a spot for the sec champion spot for the big 10 champion, lock it down. Right. So there's, there's two spots left. Uh, if Clemson goes undefeated, which will, we're going to touch on Clemson in, in just a minute. I am somebody who, who believes that what happens on the field has to matter. And I think if you win all your games in a Power 5 conference, no matter whether it is the best Power 5 conference or the worst Power 5 conference, and I do believe the ACC is the worst of of those five conferences right now, I I think you have to get in. I I just do. Like, it's... I live in this world a lot where I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because I'm so in the 
gambling world, so much of it is speculative and so much of it is like, well, on paper, they would be favored on initial field. And it's like power ratings and trying to make educated guesses about how to bet the games. And when that turns into the conversation about like who deserves to play for a national title, that's why I get really frustrated because it's like, yes, you can think that Clemson may not be as good as this team, but if everything we're going to decide is based off who you think is better and not what has actually happened, then I don't know why we play a 12 game season to begin with. So from that perspective, I think a undefeated Clemson has to be in. And then, you know, I I think the committee has shown that they do value conference championships a lot. I I think they really do. And it's going to, TCU is going to take a loss. Like I've been high on TCU all year. I think they're really good. I think it's been a great run by them, but they're playing with fire every week. And you can say the same for Clemson, but the difference is, Clemson's kind of through the meat of their schedule and TCU still has some tough road games out there. So bottom line is this, Brian, I think if you end up getting a undefeated Clemson and undefeated TCU, yeah, PAC 12 is going to be out of luck. But I think if any of those, either of those teams take a loss, I think you can make an extraordinarily compelling argument for a one loss PAC 12 champion over a one loss Clemson a one-loss Pac-12 champion over a one-loss TCU. I think that's totally fair. I, I, you know, to kind of bring us back to where the conversation started, I, I, I'm interested to, to talk about Oregon as potentially that team because it's so – we saw them get their ass kicked by a team that might also be in the playoff. And so that adds this sort of interesting element where I feel like historically it's helped you to get your loss out of the way – Generally, I feel like a team has never lost. I mean, I, I don't have a handy, but I can't imagine a team with a 46-point loss has ever made the playoff. And so I, I think that's like um, an interesting sort of development because I know we're going to talk a little bit more about Bo Nix, but like he has shown vast improvement over the course of this season and yet was essentially non-competitive in the game against Georgia. And so it's like, I sort of can't get that out of my head when thinking about Oregon because like they're, they're good, but it is also possible that the best team in the PAC 12 just can't compete with the best teams in the country. Right. I mean, it's possible. And I do think, so if you ask me, can any of these teams win a national championship? My answer to you you will be absolutely not. They just don't have the defense to do it. But, Brian, Oregon has not scored under 40 points. They have not scored under 41 points since that Georgia game. They've scored at least 41 points in every game they played. I would be willing to bet this offense is one of the five best offenses in the country. And Bo Nix right now, at least according to ESPN's QBR, is the sixth best quarterback in the country. He's only thrown three picks on the year. Two of them were in that Georgia game. And I think it's a fair question to ask, given what we've seen of him at Auburn over a fairly long career there and what we saw at the beginning of this year, is it is can he just not compete at that same level against SEC defenses or a defense like Michigan? And, I mean, I'm speculating on this, but I do think players can grow. I think 
teams can grow. And you're talking about game one of year one of a brand new coach's tenure with a brand new quarterback. That's a lot of new pieces for us to just write that team off completely, especially given that it seems like Oregon is more on the upward trajectory right now, where Georgia, I'm not going to say they're on a downward trajectory, but they're, that they kind of peaked so far this year in that game. Would you think that's fair to say? Like, that has been the peak of their season so far? Was that opening game? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. So, you know, I, I always thought that defense was so critical at the highest levels of college football, and I, I still think it's critical... However, I am coming around to a way of thinking where it's like you if you're a team that can put up 50 points in a game, you're going to go out go ahead and put those up and it's like there's only so much a good defense can do to stop you that you're going to make that other team score 50 points as well. And I feel like more than now more than ever it's with in the grasp of a team like that to say with the way the rules are, with the way the game is to go out and put up 50 and say, we can do this. There's only so much you can do to stop us. You have to match it. And I would be fairly interested in seeing a a Georgia Oregon rematch, to be honest, because I think it would be a good bit different this time around. I'm surprised to hear you say that, to be honest. I, I, I just, it was like a thorough dismembering of Oregon's attempt to do anything. I I'm I like I've seen 40 plus in what's it been six straight games. Uh, it's really impressive. It's just, uh, I, I think that the, the playoff committee would also love to avoid that because I think like that, that, that is one where I I'm actually, so uh, as like a general rule of thumb, I'm game, with rematches it just was it was non-competitive it was over in in the first half that like i don't know as a fan i feel like i'd have a little bit of a tough time getting up for it but i am fine with the idea of you can have a 46 point loss in your ledger and make the playoff like i think that that like to me that just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it can't happen and obviously a lot of pieces have to fall into place for you to be able to make it with that loss. And, but I mean, if shoot, if they win 12 straight, including the pac 12 championship game. Yeah. I, I think they absolutely deserve us uh, at least to be in the conversation. Can I, can I just share something with you about that first game for a second? Sure. So I think that game was no doubt a thorough dismantling, but I think it got away from them and snowballed because Bo Nix made, some really bad plays that led to turnovers because on those first three Oregon possessions, they got the ball to start the game. They went all the way to their own 47 and then ended up punting on a fourth and three, but they moved the ball, right? They got 33 yards on that drive. Not terrible. Second possession down seven, nothing. They again, get to their own 47. Bo Nix throws an interception third possession. Now down 14, nothing. They get to Georgia's 29. And Bo Nix throws an interception. So two of the first three possessions, they move the ball to some extent, but turn the ball over. And then from there, it was just it was just game over, right? Like that's what happens in college football. Think snowball. And to me, it's not that different from 
we talked about maybe three weeks ago now, Spencer Sanders against Baylor. And we said, can Spencer Sanders avoid the mistakes against Baylor? Because I think if Bo Nix really has grown and he just feels that comfortable in this offense and they're running the ball the way they did yesterday to the tune of 200 whatever yards, it was an unbelievable performance by the running game. If he's feeling confident and comfortable and he can avoid those mistakes, I think that game could have been competitive for far longer than it was. I'm trying to keep an open mind here, Brian. I'm trying not to be like the SEC has the best talent, SEC, 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 because they are the best, right? Georgia is the Georgia is one of the two most talented teams in the country. Georgia is one of the two best coached teams in the country. But I do think it's possible that if they play again, it's not quite 49 to three. And I do think there's something to I'm, we're going to see what Tennessee does to Georgia in two weeks because I don't think Tennessee's offense is significantly better than Oregon's. I think it's, I think they're both top five offenses in the country right now. And I think there's a good chance Tennessee is going to throw on them. And I think Oregon given another chance could throw on them too. Now I do want to say, I said the games have to matter. And if somebody, if the committee told me, Oregon was eliminated because they lost 49 to 3 to Georgia. I would actually be okay with that. I, I really would. Um, but I do think that discourages if you're trying to create a sport where the regular season is important and matters, yeah, you can say that me- makes that game that week one game matter a lot, but it basically rendered the rest of Oregon's season pointless, which I'm not a fan of. And that's why I'm pump for the 12 team playoff honestly yeah yeah no I think that makes sense I, th- I think that's a totally fair take and and it'll be interesting to see because I do think like historically we've seen a team like like Oregon is in a great position They're, they also have um generally the meat of their schedule behind them they have the big one against Utah um coming up in a couple of weeks but uh, you know upcoming at Cal at Colorado, Washington at home, then the game against Utah and at Oregon state to end, you know, not, not pushovers by any means, but like, you know, they, they beat BYU, they beat UCLA, they beat some of the the good teams on their schedule. I think history has shown that the team that's like in this type of position in the PAC 12 stumbles a bit to the finish line and they are playing incredibly well. So it's going to be a fun, a fun story to follow for the rest of the way. But I do think, uh, I do think it is fair to say, you know, I never have trusted Bo Nix, and I, and I think I, I largely do now. I mean, yeah, it was, it was a, a great performance yesterday, and I'm with you in the fact that he can grow and he can get better, and, um, you know, doing it multiple ways. He threw for five touchdowns, right? He's, he's been running a lot this year, and so, um. Yeah, he looks he looks wildly comfortable, and you know the reason that I don't I didn't play it, but the reason I was thinking of betting UCLA was was simply like, do I trust DTR or do I trust Bonex? And I trusted DTR, and Bonex came out and, and played incredibly, incredibly well. So yeah, they're in a great spot. They're in a great spot in year one under Dan Lanning. It's been impressive. Yeah, and I think like. I think if we're gonna call out guys when they don't play well, which I is a hundred percent fair, and it's part of the part of the deal and part of discussing college football, we should call them out when they do. And Bo Nix hasn't thrown a pick in a month. 
He literally has not thrown an interception since September 24th against Washington State. I mean, that that needs to be called out because this was a guy who at one point in his career had a 12-touchdown, 7-pick season at Auburn. And that was in a, a shortened season in 2020. So, you know, it, it, there's a long track record here of not taking care of the ball, of not necessarily looking comfortable. But, man, comfortable is the word I keep coming back to with him. I just felt like that's how he looked yesterday. And I think you got to give Dan Lanning a lot of credit for that. I got to give Dan Lanning a lot of credit for how he managed that game yesterday. The onside kick to steal possession in the first half was was a great call because they were going back and forth, both of these teams, and Dan Lanning stole possession and really gave them the upper hand in the game. And then the other thing I noticed, and I, I want to give Dan Lanning and the whole staff some credit for this, is, you know, this is maybe a weird thing, but I noticed they were running to the outside a ton, okay? And when I think of running to the outside, to me that means you need to have your receivers who are willing to block and block effectively. And if you have receivers who are effectively blocking, that tells me that this is a team that's bought in, that's locked in. Because it's not any receiver's favorite thing to do is go out there and block on the outside, right? And they were doing it really well. They were running to outside effectively. I think this team is just bought in. I think Dan Lanning's done a great job. He could have lost the room getting smashed in week one. He didn't. They're playing well. Big kudos to him in year one. Uh, and I'm just I'm curious to see where it goes the rest of the way. Do you think there's another team in the Pac-12 that's more likely to get that spot than Oregon right now? I don't. I you know I I I don't. I you can't really look at UCLA after that, right? Um, I, I so it it brings me to USC, I suppose. Um. You know, coming off the loss to Utah, I guess you have to you have to talk about Utah as well. But that, I, I guess that's the other. You know, we talked about it, a little bit about it yesterday. Um, the the big games that are remaining, obviously USC still has UCLA, and I mentioned you know Oregon and Utah. So uh, it's going to play itself out. But I don't think I can talk myself into. I mean, I, I guess USC. I just see, I I don't have a tough time with the way that they are capable of going extended periods of time without playing great defense. I don't see USC running the table the rest of the way. And obviously once they take that second L they'll be out. So I think uh, for me, Oregon's in the, in the best spot in the PAC 12 to, to, to make a run if somebody's going to do it. I would actually very much like to see an Oregon USC Pac-12 championship game because they don't play during the regular season. And truthfully, I hadn't watched USC a ton this year, but I watched the entire Utah game last week and I talked about it on the show when I was solo. I came away from that game really impressed with Utah, but also really impressed with Caleb Williams. And it's just to say, you know, I, I what I talked about, Brian, was that in back-to-back games, you had Bryce Young and Caleb Williams both taking losses, and I came away impressed with Tennessee and Utah, but at the same time, I just came away so impressed with each of those two losing quarterbacks because I felt like they did everything in their power to win those games, and I have the utmost confidence in those quarterbacks going forward. And I, So I think Oregon might be a slightly better version of USC. However, I would, if you say you trust DTR more than Bo Nix last week, 
I still trust Caleb Williams more than Bo Nix in a, in a Pac-12 championship game. I want to see what the Jordan Addison situation is. I haven't looked at they because they were off this week, so I wasn't really looking at that uh, to see what his status was. But, I mean, that's a huge loss for them if he's out. Maybe that makes the difference. But I, I'd, I would like to see that in the Pac-12 championship game. I think that would be a great game to watch, a fun game to watch. And I think the winner of that, if they can go unscathed, would have a good shot at, at the CFP. I dig it. I dig it. Speaking of quarterbacks that you may or may not trust, shall we head to Clemson? Let's do it. So Clemson survives yet another close one. 27-21 win over Syracuse. Clemson was down 21-10. to And in the second half, after benching DJ Weungalele, it's close. I almost there, dude. Like, I have practiced so many times over the last two years, and when the time comes, I just, like, <laughs> just a little bit off. But after the first time, I get to go back to DJU. So, uh, Clemson benches DJU for Cade, uh, for Cade Klubnik, the five-star freshman that has received some calls on the internet to play, potentially, and DJ DJ had a bad game in the first half, Brian. He really did. He slow mesh point. He held onto the ball on the goal line, fumbled. Syracuse returns the ball, uh, returns it for a touchdown. So basically handing Syracuse a touchdown. He had, um, this is not all in the, in the first half, but in the game, he had two interceptions. So he had three turnovers by himself. And uh, Klubnik comes in the game. Klubnik did not do a whole lot in terms of passing the ball. He was two for four, but he was steady enough that he allowed that running game to take over. And Clemson gets the gets the job done coming all the way back, winning 27-21. After the game, Debo Swinney says, DJ, uh, one more time. I'm going to do it one more time. <laughs> DJ... Ui Ungalele is their guy going forward. DJ used the guy. He compared it to Steph Curry having a bad game, going two of 25. I saw, I think Max Olsen from The Athletic pointed out something like, Steph Curry's never made less than seven shots when shooting 25 in a game, so bad comparison. But either way, he compared it to a basketball player having a bad game, said we still have the utmost confidence in DJU. And he's our guy going forward. To be honest, I kind of believe it from him. Do you? I believe it. I don't know that it should be his stance, but he was impassioned in saying it. And I don't think you say it in that. I, he's a smart guy. I don't think he says it in that moment if he's planning to go back on it. It's you're right. Like they didn't ask Klubnik to do a ton once he came in. Um, you know, he was a steady hand, but it was a, a lot of the run game uh, that led the comeback. Um, but yeah, I mean, DJ just hasn't, he didn't look comfortable. He had a bad game. Um, you know, I, I think he deserves a shout out for the, the way he sort of handled it and reading some of his post game quotes. And, you know, if I was in coach issues, I might've done the same thing. We needed a spark. Um, that's all well and good. I, I believe it, but I think like to so aggressively shut that door does to a certain extent, I, I get why he did it. 
whether or not you know he slept great and thinking, oh, am I going to have to tell DJ he's he's second string at some point this season? I don't know. I get why he did it. The team likes him. He likes him. Whatever you know, maybe they think Clubnet needs more time. Whatever. I get. I get why you did it. But it is the same guy who made the call to move to Trevor Lawrence and win the whole damn thing. And so I, I was just uh, maybe maybe, you know, he would know better than I would if it's not the same situation. But this hasn't looked like a an offense that I would trust to perform well in a playoff setting against these great defenses we're talking about. And so I was a little bit surprised to hear the door shut so quickly. See, I think you said something key. Maybe it's not the same situation as Trevor Lawrence. And I think actually getting a chance to watch Club Nick yesterday made me realize that, okay, this guy could be good. He certainly seems to have a lot of tools. Uh, he, he moves well. He, he had one uh, two-point conversion, made a really nice throw. You can see he has a big arm. But it was pretty clear to me he's not Trevor Lawrence yet, and there's a reason why Debo Sweeney has not made that move. And I think given the history and the fact that we've seen he is willing to go to Trevor Lawrence, this is not a situation like, and far be it for me to criticize Kirby Smart at this point, but Kirby Smart has shown that he will not deviate from who his starting quarterback is, right? I, I think that's fair to say. He has got a guy and he will not change. Dabo's made the change. And I and I do fully believe if he thought Cade Klubnik gave him the best chance to win a national championship this year, I think he would make the move. And I think I understand more after watching him play yesterday that he just doesn't feel that way because they didn't even really put him in a position to pass the ball a lot. I mean, they for the most part, they relied on their running game and they relied on his running ability. And just the simple fact that he did not make any mistakes is the reason why they won that game. Because even the there was a play where at the end of the first half, DJ didn't turn the ball over, but he drops back to pass. He fumbles the ball like as he's going to as he's getting set to throw, he bobbles the ball then takes a sack that pushed them out of field goal range at the end of the first half. Like it was, he was off yesterday. And I think he's been decent this year. Not a Heisman contender or anything along those lines, but he has been decent. He has been markedly improved over last year. So I think that if Dabo thought Klubnik was the guy, he would be starting I think there's still a chance. I think yesterday showed that there's a chance he will make the move depending on how a given game is going. But I don't really think that impacts my evaluation of, of Clemson at all. For me, Clemson was always about their defense. And their defense was still, again, pretty good yesterday. Their defense gave up 14 points. Their offense gave up se- gave up seven of those points. But their defense had five sacks and nine tackles for loss. They they create havoc. And kind of like Oregon, just in a different way, no, I don't think they're going to win a game in January. But I think they can get there. There's nobody else in the ACC. If they had to play Wake again, maybe a different story. But they don't. The five best teams in the league are in the, in the ACC Atlantic. And they're going to get North Carolina, who's the sixth best team in the league in the ACC championship game. So I don't know. Clemson's weird because I'm 
almost 100% certain they can't accomplish anything once they get to the playoff, but you can't keep them out of the playoff. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And nothing, I feel like nothing, you know, that we saw yesterday, scream top four team, but you're, you know, you're right. They, they, they all deserve a spot if they, if they get there. I guess just to put a bow in the club next stuff, like I, I think it's totally fair. That's a great point, right? We've, he's made the switch. So it, it, we can trust that if he thought he, he could, then he would, I guess it was just sort of like the, the, I, you know, maybe it's unfair of me. Like, what do I want him to say on the field after the game? But I do think there's just some sort of like, because he said, like, how about Cade Klubnik leading these guys to a victory? This was great. Also, he's not going to play anymore. And it's just uh, – I, I was just – DJ might have another off game. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, at what point – I agree he's been decent, but at what point, if you're Dabo, do you seriously consider that? And I think, you know, he, he sort of boxed himself into a corner. But uh, DJ's okay, been good, but, like you said. Yeah, go ahead. But I have a question for you. Is there any other position in any other sport where if a guy's having a bad game, you can't pull him? Because I specifically remember in Maryland's basketball national championship year, there was a game Maryland was playing at Virginia where they were down late. They were down like eight or nine with a couple minutes to go. And Gary Williams sat starting point guard Steve Blake down on the bench for the last five minutes of the game, played Drew Nicholas at point guard. Nicholas hit a bunch of big shots. They won the game. They survived. They were like the number three team in the country at the time, something like that. They survived on the road in conference. Steve Blake starting the next game, the rest of the season. Steve Blake ends up being the starting point guard the whole rest of that year on a national championship team. I mean, there's no other position in sport where we're so protective of like, that's the quarterback we have to, there has to be one quarterback. You can't ever have anything happen where somebody else gets a chance to play. Like we're so protective of this position and maybe it really was a situation where DJ wasn't playing well. They needed something different for that day, but nothing changes in the long term. Like I'm, I am willing to believe that. Yeah, it's just it doesn't happen. You're right. Like I think that I think that's a fair point. It's just not something to consider because it's so it's so rare. You don't you don't really see it. Like I I think you see it more in like you'll see a team pull their quarterback if they're getting blown out, right? And they're just sort of waving the white flag. Um and that wasn't what happened here. I, I think that's fair. I think there's also some like you know, portal stuff going on where you have to deal with that sort of stuff now. And like, what are you telling Kate Klubnik? And, and so I, you know, we obviously don't know the ins and outs of what's going on there, but I, I think that's fair. I obviously DJ is going to start their next game uh, in two weeks at Notre Dame. And, and I think best case scenario for them is he plays really well that day. He's, he's been known to play well against Notre Dame. And so, um, get back on the right path. And then we're not having this conversation. I just think like DJ has been good this year. He wasn't very good last year. And then we saw him be not very good on Saturday. And yeah, I I, I think maybe it's maybe I speaking of holding on to preseason stuff. I just sort of came into the season. Like, wow, we are really set up for another Trevor Lawrence thing. And if dad was not going to do it, there's a reason. And I think that's fine. They're undefeated. Klubnik threw four passes. It's not like he's, you know, 
about to take over. And I think that's fair. Look, DJ Weungalele, Cade Klubnik, not sure it really matters. This team's all about defense. If they're going to go anywhere, it's going to be on the strength of the defense. Wanted to get his name in there one more time so I could nail it on attempt three. Drilled it. You know, that's practice makes perfect. I practiced so much (laughs) off show because I knew I was like, I want to come in and not say DJU. I want to say his full name. And it took me three tries and I get it because I hate because I got a name that people say wrong all the yeah. time. And yeah. I don't love it, so I don't want to say somebody else's name wrong. But I think DJ knows my heart is in a good place. That's why I nailed it on time three. Either way, I'm not sure that it matters which quarterback plays. This is not a national championship team. But they are a team that is going to win the ACC championship and perhaps make the college football playoff. I think if they go undefeated, they deserve it. Um, not a vintage Clemson team, but still a very impressive year by them. And I think that is the book on Clemson right now. Let's move on to some of the other games of the day. I think those were really the two biggest ones, Brian. I'm going to give you a little dealer's choice here. Would you like to go to the Big 12, the Big 10, or a little SEC? Let's go to the Big 10. Can we do the Big 10? Is that yeah, fine? Yeah, Big 10. Yeah, that's, that's good with me. Um, so, Ohio State. You know, a team that we really haven't talked about all year because they just win by so damn much every game. <laughs> There's nothing that interesting or talk to talk about because they just blow everybody out. And this week was no exception. Ohio State Ohio State beats Iowa 54 to 10, and I believe I talked about this a little bit last week, Brian, but for my money, for my from a power rating perspective, Ohio State is my number one team in the country. I would favor them on a neutral field over anybody in the country right now. I think Tennessee is my number one team in the country from a resume perspective, but Ohio State, from a power ranking perspective, is my number one team in the country. I think they should be the favorite to win the national championship. I think they should be favored over anybody in a neutral on a neutral field. Where do you stand on the Buckeyes? Yeah, they're so good. And they're playing defense. It's It's been really, really impressive. I mean, they held... Noted offensive juggernaut Iowa to 158 yards on Saturday's game. Uh, obviously, just kidding. Uh, our flag football intramural team could hold Iowa to about 200 yards, uh, and I've never tackled anybody in my life. But they haven't given up more than 21 points in a game all season, and they're just lighting teams up offensively to the tune of what you would expect them to do. Right, like that part's not surprising at all. But they've matched it with the defense, and that to me has just been has been so impressive. Um, you know, only giving up twenty points or more in three of their games. Um, you know, uh, it's kind of ho hum. You can only be who's on your schedule, and they haven't played really any good Big Ten teams yet. And the Notre Dame win, I think, looks a little bit less impressive than than we thought it it might when it happened. Um, but there's no reason to believe that they they can't continue this run. I mean, one of the big games to look ahead to next week, they'll be in Happy Valley um, to play Penn State. And I I expect them to, to continue kind of running roughshod through this league. I, I, I am totally in agreement with you that they're the most complete team that I think I've seen. There's no real holes. They are so talented that when guys are going down, you know, they've dealt with some injuries on the offensive side of the ball and haven't really skipped a beat. Um, 
so yeah, I, I'm with you. I think they're the best team. You know what's so funny, man? In my mind, I always have this perception like Penn State plays Ohio State really well in Happy Valley. And they that's true. They've had some close games. Like, uh, let's see, 2018, they lost by a point. Uh, 2016, oh, Penn State won. But since 2012, Penn State's won this game just one time. Hmm. Just once. Wow. Yeah, that's surprising. So in my mind, I'm like, this is this is always a, a test for Ohio State. And it is, but they tend to find a way to win it. I mean, um, that that's just I, I you asked me that as a trivia question, I would not have guessed that Penn State has just one win in this series since two thousand twelve. So I, I think it is gonna be a test. I like you, I think they're I'm picking Ohio State to win the game. I said they should be favored on a neutral field over anybody in the country. But I think they might, you know, it, this is the best team they've played by far. And, man, Penn State just doesn't have the firepower, in my in my view, to, to keep up with them. Um, I weirdly think that the fact this is a big noon kickoff is definitely an advantage for Ohio State. Penn State had their whiteout game last night. It was a night game against Minnesota. This is big noon kickoff, a noon game. Uh, I think that's actually big advantage for Ohio State here, but I don't think they even need that advantage really. Like that's the for Penn State to try to win this game, they would need every factor to go in their favor, including having a night game, having that crowd, and they don't have that. I mean, Clifford, gotta give Clifford credit, man. He bounced back with a with a decent game yesterday, and they looked really good. And that you can ask whether that's them looking good or Minnesota looking bad. Minnesota has a ton of injuries, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, I don't know that anybody can challenge Ohio State until Michigan the last week of the season. Yeah, and and like I my sort of. Uh hot take is that I don't know that I expect Michigan to challenge them a ton either. I I just think like, like that's more of me being high on Ohio state than me being like lower on Michigan or anything like that. Um, they just look, they look complete. They look dominant and, and I'm with you. Yeah. I, I was sort of surprised. I know the TV window stuff controls a lot of it, but like it seems to be like prime white out, just you know minnesota was kind of a weird opponent for that i feel like it's generally an, an east opponent that is a rival yeah i mean i feel like this game every time it's in happy valley it's a abc 8 p.m primetime game but now i mean and especially going forward it will always be a fox game and probably a noon game most of the time. Well, I don't know what the... Actually, I guess going forward, it will often probably be a CBS 330 <laughs> game. So, that's right. <laughs> but traditionally, it definitely... This is a game that's a, that's a night game. It's their whiteout game when they play it in Happy Valley. So I don't know. It's like I got to find some more interesting things to talk about with Ohio State. It's just like, yeah, they're really good. Call me when they play one of the other four teams in the country that can beat them. I will push back a little bit. I think Michigan can at least push them. Like you have to at least think about what Michigan did to them last year from a physicality perspective. And 
make it at least pause for a second. But where I think Ohio State has just such an advantage over them is at the skill positions. Like, I mean, I think Stroud is worlds and worlds and worlds better than McCarthy. McCarthy's been good for a freshman, but I don't, when I watch him, I think there's still more there. Like, I could see him in next year, the year after becoming a Heisman level quarterback. Right now, he is not at CJ Stroud's level. And I don't think that's necessarily fair to ask of a freshman to be at CJ Stroud's level necessarily. Um, although, you know, Stroud was <laughs> there <laughs> last year. Sure. Basically, I mean, yeah. he's gotten better too. And then there is uh, Michigan's receiver situation, their pass catcher situation. I mean, they have the tight end that gets a lot of receptions, but I, they don't have, I mean, Ohio state may have the best receiver room in the country and they haven't had their best receiver for the majority of the year. And I just don't think Michigan keeps up there. So Michigan would have to muck it up. I mean, we saw how they out physical them last year, but as of right now, I mean, I just think Ohio state's the best team in the country. I'll be interested in this weekend's game. I'll be interested when they play Michigan, but if they can pass those tests, I mean, it's just full steam ahead to to the playoff. It doesn't you know? seem fair looking at like Julian Fleming, Emeka Ibuka, Marvin Harrison Jr. And like you said, like those are three, like obviously definitely take any of those guys over almost any other receiver in, in the league. And then that's without Jackson Smith and Jigba. So uh, yeah, I, they're, they're rolling. You're right. It's, it's funny to try to, to break them down or poke holes in it, you can't really do it. But I'm not going to try. Yeah, and and they're not going to face an offense. Like, I would love to see them play Tennessee. I would like to see what Tennessee's offense would do to them. And, you know, but although, again, their problem w- was with physicality last year and Michigan's physicality last year. So maybe it's like, I'd like to see an Ohio State-Georgia game. We never see that matchup. Really, I feel like we've gotten Ohio State Clemson about a thousand times. I'd like to see I'd like to see Ohio State Georgia at some point. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I like it. All right, Brian, run a little short on time here. So what do you say we just do losers today, not winners and losers? I, I like want to it. talk Terps. Let's be negative. Cool. Because I'm really excited about my loser today. And like I could have made this a winner or a loser, but I'm going with a loser. And that's Texas A&M. But I could have said that I'm a big winner because (laughs) this could not have worked out better for me. Texas A&M loses to South Carolina. I had South Carolina plus three. I had South Carolina on the money line as the final leg of my parlay. And I had Texas A&M under eight and a half wins on the year that is officially clinched i clinched that bet before november everybody in this game talked and talked and talked and talked for two years all i ever heard about was texas a&m they're next they have five stars galore blah 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 jimbo's huge contract the fans the passion the nil well guess what They have four losses before November. They are the losers of the season. Nobody has come into this season with higher expectations than Texas A&M, and nobody has disappointed more. And I do think Texas A&M fans would be the first ones to tell you that. I mean, they are... Okay, I'm hearing people today, and you know, don't react to the reaction, but I am hearing people today say, like, well, look at the yardage of that game. Uh... 
Texas A&M was actually the better team. South Carolina had a special teams touchdown. Well, guess what, Brian? Special teams is part of the game. The guy coaching South Carolina, his last name is Beamer. <laughs> yeah. They like special teams. That yeah. family likes special teams. They know how to do it pretty well. That's part of the game. And Texas A&M right now is they are the quintessential loser program. They are that Mark Richt Georgia were, I mean, it's even worse, but it's similar to Mark Rick, Georgia, where they have this fan base that's so passionate. They have all this talent. They want to get over the hump, but they do the little things that make them lose games, not the little things to make them win games. And special teams is one of them. So they're the losers of the week. They're the losers of the season. And I'm a winner for it. Texas A&M's offense has scored less than 25 points in nine straight games against FBS teams. The only teams with longer streaks active are Colorado and Rutgers. That's not who you should be in company with when you hired this offensive genius to resurrect your program. It's wild. It's wild. So kudos to you. You were all over that. Passing we on them in the wins pool too. Congratulations on that. Thank you. You're, you're all we were talking it. about it yesterday, tailgating, right? Like they need to find their version of Joe Brady. Yep. They Th- do. That is what this program has to do. And he has to, he being Jimbo, swallow his pride a bit to make that happen. Because from a contractual standpoint, he is not obligated to change a damn thing. And obviously the guy wants to win, but he needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror. So congrats to you. Congrats to you. Um, my losers are uh, the preseason ACC coastal favorites of which I mean, were they really favorites is maybe how I should be framing this, but man, Miami blown out by Duke at home. Like that's not what should happen. Pitt, Couldn't hang with Louisville, like couldn't do anything offensively. Keaton Slovis looked terrible. So anyway, like you said, North Carolina is going to go to the ACC championship game. And, you know, they've been good, but that is just a a disaster division. I mean, you you nailed it with the worst worst, uh, conference of the Power Five. So it's like a fool's errand trying to predict who's actually going to play well year in year out in that division. And uh, in predicting Miami, I seemingly could not have been more wrong. So I'm a loser. And uh, so is Miami. So is Pitt. We're all losers. Did they have eight turnovers in that game? They had eight turnovers. They lost five fumbles and threw three interceptions. So uh, not exactly a recipe for success uh, from uh, football 101 books. Um, Can't do it. You can't do it. Eight turnovers. It's like hard to do. It's hard to do that. And they managed. You know what else is hard, Brian? What? Beating Northwestern. It is. It is hard. Who did it? Maryland. Maryland did it. Maryland beat Northwestern (laughs) at home with a backup quarterback, and the Terps are bowl eligible, going bowling with four to play. Brian and I were there. Brian was the – so at Maryland games, we have this guy who likes to stand on the sideline. His name is Special K. He's been at the games as long as I can remember. I mean, as long as I've been going to games, this guy has been on the sideline getting the crowd fired up. Brian was acting as the Special K for our section 
our, he was the special K for section six. He was down in the front row, getting the crowd going, getting everybody fired up. And we had a great time cheering on the Terps to victory. Look, man, this was a gutty one. Uh, emotions were high at one point. I was a little frustrated in the first half. I didn't think we were going to win this one. You asked me, like, do you think we're going to win? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and you were more confident than I was when we were down 17-7, when the Terps were down 17-7. Uh, but they they found a way to win largely because of running back Roman Hemby, freshman running back who's had an unbelievable season. Um, so good on the Terps for gutting it out. We had a great time. Brian, where are you standing on the Terps right now? Yeah, I just hope they let me back in the stadium going forward. I was maybe a little <laughs> overindulgent, uh, but yeah, I had a great time. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's just sort of the game that you need to figure out ways to win. You don't have your starting quarterback. It's a good opponent, you know, to have in a game where you might just need to iron some things out and find a way to win. And so, you know, being bowl eligible, I believe this is the earliest they've been bowl eligible since 2001. Um, that's that's great. Um, so, I, you know, I feel good. This is sort of what we've talked about going into the season is like get bowl eligible and play a little bit with house money. And I think they'll probably be dogs in their next three games and finish up with Rutgers and hopefully find a way to get to seven or eight wins. Uh, uh, yeah. Roman Hemby's he's awesome. He's, he's really, really awesome. We've talked about him on the show, um, but the, the long touchdown to win it um, just really, really impressed um, with him. And yeah, I, you just have to find ways to win games like that. And I would, uh, there's a reason that you didn't think they were going to win when they were down by 10 points in the first half, because historically they don't win games like that. And so I do actually feel weirdly really good about just, just have a W, add one to the win column. That's it. I don't I don't need to dissect how Billy Edwards played. Billy Edwards is not what's going to make or break this the season. I mean, hopefully everything's fine with, with Leah and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, a good win. Yeah, Roman Hemby, 179 yards and three touchdowns on 24 carries yesterday. Great game for him. And I thought what made it extra impressive was the fact that you know, we commented on it watching Northwestern was stack in the box. I mean, they were playing against the run. Uh, Hemby found a way to work through that. And the other thing that I was really impressed with was how Maryland kind of found creative ways to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers closer to the line of scrimmage. And, you know, like we're Maryland fans, so we're used to watching teams that are not very good, but maybe have one or two exciting players, right? Like we've had some really good wide receivers come through the program from Darius Hayward Bay, Torrey Smith, Stefan Diggs, DJ Moore. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, Vernon Davis as a tight end at one point, you know, is right at the top of that list. And we've, so we've seen a lot of like, okay, things aren't going well, but we have one guy who can do something really special. And I felt like in this game, we needed to get the ball in the hands of our playmakers where they could work in space a little bit. And uh, I thought the Maryland coaching staff did a nice job of that as the game progressed. Rakeem Jarrett, eight receptions, 82 yards. I think uh, he was a guy that they were getting the ball to a lot at kind of closer to the line and letting him go to work, former five-star receiver. So 
Yeah, it, I think it's just, I, I feel like a broken record sometimes, but when you're Maryland football, every win is a good win. And going to a bowl game for two uh, back-to-back years is fantastic. And now they do have an opportunity with four games left, a bye this week to get healthy and see if you can do something that will elevate the level of excitement around the program that will bring in a casual fan. Because in this area, you have to do that by beating a Penn state, by beating an Ohio state, by beating a Michigan. And man, I think they can beat Penn state. I, re- I really, if with a healthy Leah, I think they can beat Penn state. I think they could beat Wisconsin as well, but you know, it's just we don't know. We don't know what his status is. Um, I wish the Penn State game was a home game. That would make me feel a little better. But in a weird way, I feel like in 2020. I mean, that was the COVID year. They played really well up there. I kind of don't take that for much. I guess. So we'll see. I guess I'll ask you, Brian. Uh, looking at some bowl projections today. I uh, saw Maryland versus Notre Dame in the Pinstripe Bowl, Maryland versus South Carolina in the Music City Bowl. Not even going to touch on this Quick Lane Bowl one because I know you don't want to go there. And then <laughs> Maryland versus NC State in the Duke's Mayo Bowl in Charlotte. Uh, what are you picking of those bowl games? If I get to choose where I get to go watch them, um, oh man, including the opponent. Including the opponent. Yeah, because I do think Notre Dame in New York makes it like a little more enticing than Sure. You know, whatever. Sure. Um I think uh well I really like Nashville and I've been wanting to go back. Um, you know, I think it'd be fun if play, you know, kinda like uh I I feel like South Carolina would be a, a good measuring stick opponent, right? Like that would be a nice two programs trying to sort of be on the rise. And so I'll I'll go with that route. I agree. I'd like that one as well, but I hadn't seen that Mayo Bowl option until today. And, you know, Maryland and NC State have a pretty good long football rivalry, especially in the early 2000s when uh, Philip Rivers could not beat Maryland. He never beat Maryland in his four years there, both kind of at the top of the league during that time, along with Florida State, of course. Um, and, you know, there's some. I miss the ACC. I miss it more in basketball than I do in football. But there's, I think that would be kind of fun. That would not be a bad consolation prize if if we can't go to the Music City Bowl. But I think Music City is kind of a kind of a no brainer. Just kind of factoring location, playing an SEC opponent uh, on New Year's Eve in Nashville. So that would be my choice too. But I wouldn't hate that Mayo Mayo Bowl one. I, the Notre Dame one in in Yankee Stadium, I I'm, I don't want to go to a cold weather bowl game, but I wouldn't mind watching it on TV. No, yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be fun. I I'm not a huge uh, send teams to the same bowl two times in a row fan too, because like it's supposed to be you know call me naive. It's supposed to be like a cool experience for the players too, right? And I, New York's cool. I'm sure they'd enjoy it, but like you want to try to see some other places if you can. Uh, All right, Brian, let's uh, do a real quick look ahead to week nine. We talked about that Ohio State-Penn State game. I'm interested in this Kentucky-Tennessee game. I I think Kentucky's too good. I'm sorry. I think Tennessee is too good for them, and I think the way they've scheduled was perfect. If Kentucky was playing Tennessee, had played them in week eight, 
I think that might be upset alert coming off that Alabama win, but they did a great job scheduling Tennessee Martin, and I think they're going to handle business against Kentucky, but that'll be one to watch. One I want to get on right now from a betting perspective, UCLA minus 16.5 against Stanford. This is a absolutely a sell high on Stanford situation. They've won two in a row, but they had just a 31% postgame win expectancy against Arizona State and a 23% postgame win expectancy the week before in their win against Notre Dame. They have not played super well in those games. They've they've clawed out wins. UCLA's offense has basically been unstoppable, even including this weekend against Oregon. They, they put up some yards. Zach Charbonnet had a, had a really nice game. I expect UCLA to absolutely romp in that one. I think anything under 17 is a play. It's at 16 and a half right now. So give me that one as my early uh, look ahead bet. Anything you are interested in or interested in betting this weekend? Yeah, I, I hinted at it a bit. Um, I, I'm laying, I think it came out at three and a half with North Carolina uh, hosting Pitt. Pitt just, Pitt looks like a team that doesn't really want to be there anymore right now. And I think like, uh, you you can't go and lose by two touchdowns to Louisville. It, it can't happen. Two weeks after a loss to Georgia Tech, uh, interim coach bump, sure, whatever. But um, I think Carolina is they, – they are. They're playing well, and Pitt simply is not. And that's my thorough analysis of, shoot, I, you know, less than a touchdown, I like it. I think I think Pitt's going to gonna take that. Also, I, I wish the number would get under a touchdown – but I do – I like TCU against West Virginia. Um, I, like, I, I agree with you they're going to drop one, and it feels a little weird and trappy. But, like, it's it's West Virginia. I, I don't think that's the one that, that they're going to drop. So I'll monitor the line on that one, but I get on the UNC now. I really like the North Carolina one as well. I think that's a, that's a great play. I mean, Pitt can't score as many as North Carolina is going to make them score. They just can't. They don't want to. Narduzzi, Narduzzi doesn't he want to do hates, it. Hates slinging the rock. Hates it. <laughs> I Okay, I know we got to get out of here, but I, I think Whipple has come out of that situation looking better than Narduzzi has. That Nebraska offense, for all the issues that team has had this year, I think that Nebraska offense has, has been a bright spot at times, and I, I think he comes out of that situation looking better than, than Narduzzi. I'm with you. I... Uh... They were really good last year with Kenny Pickett throwing the hell out of the ball. And they just, they said, no, let's, uh, we're just going to run the ball 40 times and, and see if it works. And it's not, it has not <laughs> spoiler alert. It has not worked. Yeah. May, may want to reevaluate that one. Sure. I'm, some, some off season work to do up in pit. Well, that is our show. Brian, it has been a pleasure as always. Can't wait to be back next week to break down all the college football action. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. Cooler cold.